I want you to notice Christ in the presence of this man, the Roman governor. Or maybe if I could be more particular this evening, my exercise in the preaching of the gospel is to show you this man, the Roman governor, in the presence of Christ. For in the meeting this evening, I want you to somehow fit yourself into the shoes of Pilate. And I want you to understand in this meeting tonight that you face Christ in this meeting. And I want you to understand that you have a great decision to make in this meeting. I want you to understand that you're coming face to face with the Son of God and you cannot walk out of this tent neutral. That's impossible. You're going to be faced with truth tonight concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, concerning your own person in light of eternity and in light of what God and how God sees you as a sinner. You're going to face truth tonight concerning what Christ has accomplished in His death, burial and resurrection. You're going to face truth tonight in relation to the great truth that one day physically you will stand before the Son of God and tonight before you leave this tent you'll be faced with a decision as to what you do with what you've heard. We're not going to buttonhole you. We're not going to pinpoint you on the, on the door on the way out. We're not going to ask you to sign a little card or say a sinner's prayer. That's not in the Bible. We're going to present truth to you concerning the gospel. We're going to present to you the way of salvation tonight and we leave it for you to face God as an individual with the truth that you have now. And you're responsible before God. We tell you at this commencement of this meeting this evening. Pilate in the presence of Christ. (coughs) My brother Craig, who's not here tonight, and my brother Jonathan has kindly stepped in to preach the gospel on his behalf. He'll be back tomorrow in the will of God, if God permits us to be spared. But my friend... I don't know whether you were here the other night, but my, my brother Craig Munro, in the preaching of the gospel, he preached Pilate and he preached four things about Pilate in the presence of Christ. He didn't know I told him after the meeting that uh, I have in this little Bible here that I'm preaching from four things in my margin concerning Christ and Pilate or Pilate in the presence of Christ. And I would like to present those things to you this evening. I want to think of the fact that Pilate actually addressed the Son of God personally. I want you to think about that. Because in this meeting, I want you to understand that you can actually speak to the Son of God personally, by faith. There was a time for every Christian in this tent, when faced with the reality of the gospel truth, faced with the reality of their sin and the Son of God, they came face to face by faith with Jesus Christ and put their trust in Him. There's no other way of salvation, my friend. There's no other mediator. They didn't come through some pastor or preacher or pope, not some religious person of earth. It couldn't be through the lineage of their parents. No, my friends, the Bible tells us That it's by faith. Personally. 
confronted with the truth of the gospel, I come by faith personally to Christ. And in him I find salvation from sin and the sentence of death. In him I find peace with God. In him I find what it is to be reconciled to God. What a wonderful thing then to be able to tell you tonight, you can come and speak to the Lord Jesus even as you sit on the seat in this tent. You know, we were preaching the gospel some time ago, a couple of years, two or three years ago, in the island state of Tasmania, and there was a man coming to those gospel meetings, and on the last night of the fourth week, he sat in the little seat at the end of the tent, and I wondered whether he just got saved in the meeting. We just watched that man. I suppose you sometimes sense some things as you preach the gospel, and I just wondered if he even got saved in the meeting that night. And we went away and then we got a phone call on the Tuesday from a brother who had been bringing him to the tent uh, who worked with this man. And he said, Adam phoned uh, at work today, told me to tell you that he got saved in the tent on Sunday night at the gospel. You know, you could get saved in this tent tonight by trusting Christ. Just turn from your sin. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We wouldn't hear the conversation that takes place. We don't know what's going on within the heart. But in the seat where you are, you can just cry to the Son of God. You know, there was a king on one occasion and he told his people this. In fact, it's very interesting. It's in the book of Jonah. If you're not familiar with its pages, I would encourage you to read it. Just four chapters and in every chapter there's a prayer. And in the third chapter, there's a prayer and no, we're not, we don't know any words of the prayer. In fact, the other three chapters, you find the words of every prayer. But when you come to chapter three, you don't find any of the words. Do you know why? It's the king and he's speaking to the people and he's encouraging them to speak to God. And do you know what he says? These are people that are sinners. These are people that need the gospel in a place called Nineveh. And he just simply says this, cry mightily to God. That's his instruction to the people. I don't know what the people cry. I don't know what the people actually said when they cried mightily to God. I'm thankful he didn't say, follow me in this little prayer. No, my friend, we cannot save you tonight and we cannot put the words in your mouth. You must cry mightily to God. And you can come by faith to the Son of God just in the seat where you sit. And though it be the echo of the heart, the unseen, un un uh, inaudible word that rises through the vinyl of this tent to the very ears of God himself upon the throne. I don't know whatever it may be. As you turn from your sin and put your trust in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, whatever words may be uttered from the heart, I tell you, my friend, you trust Christ, you'll be saved. It's a blessed thing to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we find Pilate actually spoke to the Son of God. I've tried to picture this scene numerous times. I've wondered what it must have been when we read these words. And Jesus stood before the governor. I wondered what it was for this man of earth, this mortal man of Adam's race, just a man like you and I, five, six foot of dust, 
from dust to dust. A man who was the governor in Palestine that, at that time. A man who was a ruler, who had some authority on planet earth. But he's now looking into the very eyes of the Son of God, who has authority in this entire universe. The Son of God who spoke these worlds into being, spooked the planets into being, spooked the stars into the sky, spooked this universe into being, started the clock ticking on this tremendous universe of ours. Oh, my friends, what it was to stand and look into the very face of the creator of this universe. What a privilege for this man. What a privilege for him to open his mortal lips and actually speak to the Son of God. I tell you, my friends, you have a great privilege in this tent tonight. You can come to Christ by faith. I'm so thankful to tell you again and again and again that you can just simply come face to face with Christ. And you can just simply speak to Him from the seat which you sit. The omnipresent Son of God, although He sits on the throne over this universe, in heaven itself, though he says heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool, though he is the mighty one, he leans down to planet earth tonight and with the Holy Spirit in this tent, he'll hear your voice. And he's waiting with outstretched arms just to receive you as a child. Well, he speaks to him. The Bible then tells us that he stands in awe of him. It says that he marveled greatly. I would like you to stand in awe of Christ in this tent meeting this evening. I would like you to see him and not me. I would like you to see Christ and not my brother Jonathan. I would like you to see Christ and not the vinyl walls of this tent. Oh, that Christ would have the preeminence in this tent tonight. There was a lady in Scripture and she came in to the very house where Christ was. The moment Christ crossed the threshold of the door, this lady came in. Because the Lord Jesus testified to that. He said, from the time I came in, she hath not ceased to kiss my feet. A woman who kissed Christ in truth. And she came to Christ where he was. You know, the Bible says this, she stood behind him, weeping. I think she caught a glimpse of who he really was. She came into the house, she wanted to be where he was. Oh, the wonder, if you would just catch a glimpse in this tent of the mighty Son of God. You know, it tells us in the very book that we've read from in the 8th chapter as it closes that chapter that the people were astonished at his doctrine. He taught not as the scribes. This is not a mere religious historical figure that's relegated to some history book in the library. No, my friend, this is the living word of God. Listen to what the Bible says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him. Could you be impressed tonight with the Son of God? Could you stand in awe of this great truth that the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me 
You know, if we were reading on in this chapter, we would come to a statement of which is a tremendous statement. I have it underlined in my Bible, and it's in verse 36. It says, and sitting down, they watched, and this is the statement, him there. You know that statement is just found twice in the Bible. Him. There. Well, it's made on another occasion. It's The statement is made on another occasion. Concerning another man who would take his son. And he would take him up a hill. And God had said to this man, for him to go and offer his only Isaac, whom he loved. He said, I want you to go and offer him there. Now, this was this man's only son. And God had promised that through this son, all the nations and all the people of the earth would be blessed. And it would be through this promised son that eventually Christ would come. Him to be offered there as a sacrifice. Has God changed his mind? Now can I look at the statement here? Him? There? The creator of the universe? On a cross? The one who knows how many hairs you have on your head and can number and name the stars of the sky? Impaled hand and foot? Has it all gone tragically wrong? Is this a mistake? Is this just a mere mortal man of earth? No, my friend. This is in the very purpose of God himself. Yes, him there. Him, the mighty son of God, there at the cross. What was he doing? I read it in the Bible and I make claim to it. He bore my sins. In his own body on the tree. What a statement. Him. There. And he stood in awe of this man. He stood in awe of Christ. He had never seen anything like this before in his life. Never seen a man before him. With such dignity. I notice as you read through the chapter. The Jews. They're flustered. They're they're distressed. They're crying out. There's a riot made by them. Pilate, he's nervous. He doesn't know where to go. Pilate's wife, she's nervous as she comes and says, I've suffered many things in a dream. And all these people through the chapter, they're distressed and they're moving about and they're nervous. There's just one who's unruffled. And that's Christ himself. In so much that the governor marveled greatly. Oh, my friend, would the God that you would marvel at Christ tonight. He didn't only address him and stand in awe of him. I want you to notice that he was absolutely assured concerning this person, Christ. Do you remember it? We read this little statement. He knew. He knew. You know, Pilate knew some amazing things. He knew that they had delivered him up for envy. He knew that he could find no fault in this man. 
He knew what his wife had said to him. I don't know exactly how that was relayed to him. Maybe it was through a note. Maybe the wife was able to come to the bench herself. I don't know. But somehow his wife had communicated to him, Pilate, have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. And he knew what his wife had said. He knew what the conclusion he had come to. He knew what Herod had said, that there was found nothing worthy of death in him. He knew that the Jews had delivered him up for envy. He knew all of these things about the Son of God, so much so that he made an astounding statement. He acknowledged who this person was. He said when he took this water and tried to tried to wash his hands of the situation as was explained to us the other night, trying to get out of this predicament that he found himself in, he said, I'm innocent of the blood of what? This just person, man. I'm innocent of the blood of this just man. I'm innocent. He knew he was just. He knew he could find no fault in him. He knew the testimony of his wife. He knew that there had been a mock trial. He stood in awe of this man. What about you this evening? In this tent. Would you... Would you allow me to do something? Would you allow me to take this holy book? And would you allow me to absolutely assure you from its sacred pages that what you're hearing is divine truth? This is not a concoction of man. This is not a religious message that began 2,000 years ago with a historical figure called Jesus who instituted a new religion on earth called the Christian religion. No, my friend, that's not what we're preaching tonight. We can trace these origins right back to the beginning of creation and the Bible tells us beyond into the endless ages of an unseen eternity by the eye of man into the very eternal ages of God himself, where in the divine counsels of God, who foresaw and foreknew, he decreed that for the human race that had sinned against him, for boys and girls and men and women of Bista in 2018, when the fullness of the time was come, he would send forth his son, Jesus Christ the Lord, who would go to a cross on Calvary's hill and bear in his own body the judgment that we deserve for sin and rise again the third day to prove who he said he was to testify to the great truth that he is the son of God with power we preach to you tonight my friend a message from God himself we couldn't assure you any more in this tent You're hearing it from God himself in the Holy Word. Pilate, he stood before the Son of God. And I can tell you tonight, my friend, can I, I'll I'll share this with you. After I was saved, I wanted to be baptized. I started reading the Bible. 
And I realized I needed to be baptized. It was a requirement of God for me to be baptized as a believer. Simply to publicly identify myself with the Lord Jesus Christ in his death, burial and resurrection. It didn't save me. It wouldn't save me. It wouldn't make me any more secure for heaven. It wouldn't wash away my sins. All that was accomplished by Christ at Calvary's cross and I came into the good of it when at the side of the road in 2002 on July the 7th, I'm almost 16 years old. In fact, it must be one of these days soon or has it already passed? No, it's... Are we still in June? We are. Sometimes you forget the date when you're preaching every night. (laughs) Next month on the seventh day, I think we'll still be here. Well, my friends, when I trusted Christ at the side of the road, that's when I came into the good of all that he had accomplished. In that moment, I was secure for heaven. In that moment, I came into the good of the forgiveness of sins. In that moment, I received the Holy Spirit of God. And it was done. But you know, I needed to be baptized because the Bible said that that was what God expected of his Christian children to take that first step of obedience in contrast to the first step of our human parents, which was disobedience. And so I started reading the Bible and I realized this was the case and I went to speak to the local brothers in the the, uh, local church where I had been... uh, going to and sitting at the back and watching what was going on I wanted to speak to them and I I said I'd like to be baptized and the four of those men they sat me down in a little room after a gospel meeting like this on a Sunday evening and they said we've just got one question for you and I kind of was primed and ready as to what it might be and they said tell us how do you know you're saved well I suddenly thought to myself they weren't there at the side of the road they didn't know what happened to me well, I could tell them what happened leading up to it. I could tell them. And I, I, for a second, I must have kind of looked bewildered and they waited patiently. And, and then I just said, because the Bible tells me so. And I don't know whether you've ha- heard eight knees being slapped at the same time and four amens. But that seemed like that's really just what they wanted to hear. That my assurance came from the word of God. I didn't say I was saved because I felt saved. Because a lot of people feel saved. And feelings come and go. And some people feel saved one day and they don't the next. And I didn't say I was saved because I had tried really hard. And I had got this believing thing together, you know. No. Because people tell me I tried that. And my response to them is not trying that you're supposed to do. It's trusting. And I just knew that the Bible told me. And I had heard the preacher tell me that the Bible tells me. Christ died for me. Well, my friend, you can be absolutely assured tonight by the Bible. Four things then. He, was, he addressed him, he stood in awe of him, he was assured as to him, and then he acknowledged him, he was a just man. I want, you to, I want to quickly just share four things with you and I'll sit down. The exact same four things that Pilate did to Christ, he did to the crowd. He addressed the crowd then. Oh, what a foolish man. He said, what do you think I should do, crowd? 
and he spoke to the crowd. Then he was, uh, he stood in awe of the crowd because the crowd started to make a big noise. And a, and a tumult was being made and Pilate didn't know what to do and he kind of stood in awe of the crowd and he got a bit shaky and he took a basin of water and he started to wash his hands trying to excuse himself from this situation and he was in awe of what they were doing. I tell you tonight, my friend, Satan will try his utmost best to keep you from being saved. He'll create a loud noise in your ear. He'll tell you your friends will reject you. He'll tell you you'll go home and you won't have a home uh, to, to go home to. Your parents might reject you. He'll tell you your school friends will laugh at you. He'll tell you all of these things. You know, make a big noise in your ear. And sometimes you can stand in awe of these things. And then he was assured by them. Because they said, don't worry, Pilate, his blood be upon us. We'll take the blame for you. And finally, the most tragic thing that man could ever have done, he acknowledged them. And he scourged Jesus and sent him to be crucified. What about you? Christ or the crowd? Psalm 49, and we read from verse number 5. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? They that trust in their wealth, and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of their soul." is precious and it ceaseth forever that he should still live forever and not see corruption. Now turn over to the New Testament to Peter, First Peter and chapter number 1, verse 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Look into chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 7. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And look uh, down uh, a little please to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse number 17. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, and listen to this solemn question, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? And... We'll ask God to bless and know that he blesses his word this evening with what we've heard. And really just in the closing minutes, I want to speak to you on three things that God calls precious in the Bible. Three things that are precious. We've read tonight that the redemption of the soul is precious. You have a soul. And it amazes me how many people, as we go round the doors and speak to people in the street, how many people don't realize that they have a soul? But you have a soul and it's precious. And then we want to think of the blood of Christ. Peter says, oh, it's precious. I wonder have you ever realized the value of the blood of Christ? 
You know, you'll never understand the value of the blood of Christ or what we've heard, the death of Christ, until you first realize the value of your soul. And when you realize the blood of Christ and its preciousness, you'll realize very quickly that he is precious. Because we've been hearing that though the blood of Christ has been shed in order for you to come into the good of it personally, you must believe. This is the very core of the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The Bible says so. What about the redemption of the soul? The soul is precious. We all have things that we would count precious. And you maybe have material possessions that you look on as precious. For some people, they'll speak of precious memories. I have precious memories. I remember the, the, the day our first child was born. That was a precious memory. Things that we value. For some people, it's places that are precious. But, you know, many people put great emphasis on material things and the value of them. And Psalm 49 makes it very clear that the rich boast in the multitude of their riches. But there's nothing that any man has material of wealth or of riches that can ever address the eternal need of the soul. No man can by any means redeem his brother because the redemption of the soul is precious. So in the meeting tonight, I would like to ask you, what is it that you count precious? Is it just things of time and sense? You know, there's people tonight and the most precious thing to them will be whether England score a goal in the World Cup. That to them will be precious. But I tell you it will be of no use when they cross the borderline into eternity. Because the first thing that I want you to learn tonight about the soul is this. Is that the soul is distinct from your body. The Bible teaches us and it's very obvious that we all have a body. But the big problem is this. In our nation tonight people see no farther than their body. I would like you to think tonight. Not just that you have a soul, but this, that you are a soul and that you have a body. But the difference in your body and soul is this. And this is why the soul is the most precious, valuable thing that you have and that you are. It's because your soul will live forever. Your soul is eternal. And you see, the very focus of our nation tonight and people is this. It's all attention and focus on the body. They inject the body with drugs. They put alcohol into the body. They go to the gym and they hone their body. And you look after your body and I encourage you to do it. And people spend great money transforming their body. They tattoo it. They paint it. They do everything to it. But you know at the end of it all, that body is going to die. And they don't stop for one moment and think of the needs of the soul. And realize this, that the very second that the body dies, the soul goes on living forever. Why? Because the Bible tells me about the distinction of the soul as well as the destiny. It tells me this, that you as a soul were made in the image and likeness of God. 
different from the animal creation that God made. The soul is made in the image and likeness of God. And among other things that represent the soul, the one thing about the soul is this, that you have a consciousness of God in your being. You wouldn't be here tonight if you didn't. We're glad to see you. But remember, a belief in God is not enough to take you to heaven or to save you from hell. But understand this, that in your being, you have a God consciousness because you're made as a soul in the image and likeness of God. You know, I was amazed just just across a few hundred feet from the tent here up on Thompson Road. And I was speaking to a young girl at the door. The question I asked her was this. I ask everybody this question usually. Have you heard the gospel before? She said no. You know, it's amazing how many people have never heard the gospel. My next question was this. Well, do you believe in God? Do you know what she said? She says, I've never heard the gospel before, but she says, the strange thing is, I'm doing my A-levels at the minute. And she says, I've begun to pray to God. How did she know to do that? I said to her, that's very good. But I said, don't make the mistake that many people in this world make. They pray to God when things go wrong and when they're in difficulties. Is that how you look at God tonight? Do you just want God to come down to your level when things are getting bad? That's not how God operates. That's not how the God of the Bible works. There's only one way to God tonight. And we sing it sometimes with the children. One way God says to get to heaven. Jesus is the only way. And the reason for that is just simply this. That there's another thing the Bible tells us about your soul. And my soul. And that is it has a serious defect. It's called sin. Our soul is defiled. From the moment we're conceived in the womb, we're conceived in sin. And there's a serious defect in our soul that represents itself on every hand. And the Bible calls it sin. And the Bible tells us in this wonderful verse in Romans 3 and verse 23, it's speaking about the soul. There is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's why there's only one way to God. It's through Jesus Christ because your sin separates you from God. It will keep you out of heaven for all eternity. And the only way that your soul can be saved from ever being in hell is because the only way it can be saved is through Jesus Christ. He's the only saviour of the soul. And that's why tonight we've been reading that he is precious. And so the soul is distinct. Made in the image and likeness of God. The soul has a destiny. There's only two places on that chart. Because there's only two places in the Bible. And you'll notice an interesting thing. That when the soul. When the person dies. You see that the body is in the grave. That's the only place for the body. The body only ever goes into the grave. But you'll observe on the chart. That the soul is in two places. The soul at the top is in heaven. But we find here a soul in hell. Why is that? Because the very second that you die, your body goes into the grave. But your soul goes to one of two places. If you're forgiven and you've repented from your sin and addressed that serious defect and defilement that sin brings to every soul, 
you're trusting Christ as your Savior, then you'll go to heaven. But if you pass pillar death as a guilty, sinful soul, continuing to rebel against God and his word, saying, I will not have this man to rule over me, my friend, the destiny of your soul. On this Thursday night, in a summer's evening in 2018, is hell. There's only the two places. I spoke to a man today in Oxford, and I asked him this question. I asked this to everybody too. After they've told me that they are Christian and told me wonderful things, this is the big question. Friends in this meeting tonight, don't be offended that I ask you it. But I must be faithful. If something happened to you tonight, on the way home from this tent, God forbid, we're praying that you'll be preserved. But if something happened, and you find yourself in eternity, where would it be? Heaven? Heaven or hell? Now you ask yourself that question in the meeting. And you answer it not to the preacher. I'm bound for heaven and I'm thankful for it. But you answer that question in the presence of a holy God. Why? Because God is holy, the Bible says, and he inhabiteth eternity. And this is the question that burns itself into my heart for this little meeting tonight. Eternity. This is the word that I would love that we could put on a loudspeaker outside the tent and shout across Caversfield. Eternity, eternity. Where will you spend eternity? You see, if this gospel and this salvation that's on offer was just something for time, really you could take it or leave it tonight. But it's not. It's for eternity. That's why this meeting is so solemn. This is not just following the Jesus way. This is not just looking at Jesus as a pattern for your life. This is grasping Jesus and clinging to him, the Lord Jesus Christ, for salvation. That you'll be saved in eternity. That you'll never perish. Because we have asked this question with Peter. What shall the end be of all them who obey not the gospel? You know, the gospel that we preach is not some alternative religion. We're not asking you to sign up to a church. It's a direct command from God to you tonight to repent. God calls all men everywhere to repent. Do you know why it's to all men? Because there's no difference. All have sinned. You might look at yourself coming to gospel meetings and think that you're a cut above the rest. But against the almighty standard of God's eternal holiness and omnipotence and all that he is. Do you know what the Bible says? All your best righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That's as God views you as a soul. You're dead. You can do nothing to save yourself. You're perishing. You're bound for hell. And you're a soul. And you need to be saved. Because my fourth point of the soul is this. That you're in danger. Now if you've got that tonight, you'll never be saved until you realize that you're in danger. Clive told us about being saved at the side of the road. 
I had the same experience. But what characterized us all was this. We realized I'm perishing. I'm in danger. And that's the person that gets saved because they realize I need this now. You say, well, I intend to get saved when I finish my exams. Listen, before you ever get your GCSE results, you could be in eternity. And you can get straight A's, but it'll never take you to heaven. No. Do you know when you need to get saved? The Bible tells us. This is not, this is not me trying to work on your emotions or anything like that. The Bible says, Behold now is the accepted time. Behold now is the day of salvation. Not after the meeting. You need to get it settled right now. You say, now that's pushing it a bit. You could be in eternity before the night's out. Your soul needs to be saved. It's in danger. That's what the word saved means. It means to be rescued. You say, how is it possible? Well, let me tell you. You see, the Psalm 49 says this. There's nothing that we can offer to God or give to God for the redemption of the soul. Do you know why? Because the wonder is he's already given what's necessary. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Paul could say the son of God, he loved me and he gave himself for me. And says, Peter, we are redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And the truth is this, that the blood has been shed. The sacrifice has been offered so that your soul can be redeemed. It can be set free from sin. It can be saved and delivered from hell because Jesus Christ shed his precious blood. That's why salvation's not found in a prayer or as our brother said in a pastor or a preacher or joining a church or christening. Somebody here tonight and you're depending on the fact that you were baptized as a baby. You need to dis- discover this, my friend, that the only thing that can save you is the blood of Christ. And the reason is that because God loves you and that is his way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Why did he say that? Because he was going to the cross to shed his precious blood. Because he loved us, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. What does propitiation mean? That big word. It simply means this, to cover. Is there someone in the tent tonight and you're trying to cover your sin? You're trying to hide your sin. You're trying to cover it with a life of good works. You'll never do it. The only thing that can cover your sin from the eye of the Holy God is the precious blood of Christ. We make much of the blood of Christ tonight. It's absolutely precious because it's Christ and His blood. It's precious because it's the blood of a man who was sinless. That's why he died and no one else. There are many Roman crosses. But tonight we don't speak of a cross. You'll notice when you read of the cross in scripture, it speaks of the cross. Because it's pointing not to the wood, but to the person who was on it. And that is the sinless, spotless Christ. And it's because his blood was spotless and he was sinless that he as a sacrifice, as a substitute, was able to please the eye of God and therefore provide salvation. You see, that's the difference in what we preach in religion. Religion is all about what you do and what men do and what men think. But salvation is about what Christ has done. You got it. 
Now, as long as you get occupied with yourself and what you're doing, you'll never be saved. Oh, no, get occupied with the precious blood of Christ because it tells me this, that the price has been paid. He gave himself a ransom for all. Does that include you? I can tell you it does. I love the words you know of that hymn of Francis Ridley Havergale. Just listen to it tonight. Precious, precious blood of Jesus shed on Calvary shed for rebels shed for sinners shed for me. Precious blood. You know that's salvation. You the sinner can do nothing. You're dead and trespasses and in sins. The work has been done. There's nothing more to pay. He said it is finished. A man asked what must I do to be saved. The reply came back. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Oh the blood is precious. But until you apply it. Until you personally put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and rest upon what he has done, not what you're doing, then only and then you will be saved. You know, I could never tell you that you're saved. I would never do that. We've heard that it's the word of God tells us we're saved. Why? Listen to it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Listen to these lovely words. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Did you ever notice that word hath? That tells me that the moment you believe on Christ, you have it. Did you ever notice that lovely word in John 5 and 24? He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. The Bible says the moment you rely upon Christ, you have it. John 3.16 For God so loved the world He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish. That, by the way, refers to hell. You'll never be in hell. But the only way that you'll never be in hell is through the blood of Christ that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have. Have everlasting life. Beautiful gospel word. You know, at home, if I took you to my home and opened a drawer, I have a little black case, just a little box. It's very precious to me. If you open that box and you take out of a little wallet a little gold pocket watch, In the year 2007, my father presented me with this little box and this little watch. He said to me, he said, that's very precious. The watch itself is of no great value. But a piece of paper within that little box is very precious to me. In fact, I have it here just in my Bible. And on that little piece of paper, it tells me that in 1970. That watch was presented to my father from his father. And it tells me in 1940 that it was presented to him by his father. 
And then it goes back to 1930 and it tells me that it was presented to a man called Richard Black when he retired from the Merchant Navy. You know, I never saw that man, Richard Black. I don't know him. But you know, I received a gift from the work that he did on an account of his work. I feel that I do know him. I've never seen him, but he's precious. And his name is precious on this little piece of paper, though I've never seen. You know, tonight he would be precious to you, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've never seen him, but he's precious to me. Do you know why? Because I'm depending on his work for eternity. And I've received a gift from him. It's called eternal life. Nobody can work for it. Nobody can afford it. It doesn't come through confessing your sins every week or paying money to charity. Listen to it. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And therefore unto us who believe, unto you who believe, he is precious. Would you not believe on him tonight? preciousness of your soul don't exchange your soul for pleasure because the question was asked for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world it would be the greatest tragedy in Vister if you lost your soul in hell and ultimately the lake of fire when all the time the precious blood of Christ had been shed he stands with nail pierced hands and says come unto me And I will give you rest. Oh, tonight believe. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, Thou shalt be saved. Let us pray.